Welcome to How I Lawyer, a podcast where I talk to attorneys from throughout the profession about what they do, why they do it, and how they do it well. I'm your host, Jonah Perlin, a law professor in Washington, D.C. This episode is sponsored, edited, and engineered by my friends at Law Pods. Law Pods is a professional podcast production company focused solely on attorney podcasting. I absolutely love working with them, and if you're considering becoming a legal podcaster or just want to learn more, check them out at lawpods.com. And now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back. In today's special episode recorded live at ClioCon, I spoke with family lawyer Angela Lennon. Angela is a partner at the Omaha law firm of Koenig Dunn, where she focuses her practice on collaborative divorce. Angela is active in legal and local business organizations and has won a number of awards for her work. She also recently won Clio's Reason Award for creating Untie Online, Nebraska's affordable divorce service that uses technology and step-by-step guidance, as well as personalized legal documents and support powered by her law firm's team to reimagine what divorce support looks like. She's a graduate of Vassar College, Go Brewers, and Creighton School of Law, Go Blue Jays. Here's our conversation. So I always like to start by hearing a little bit about your path to the law and more specifically your path to your practice. So how'd you get where you are today? So this always sounds so cliche about, you know, why did you become a lawyer? How did you become a lawyer? But um, since I was very little, I always remember just telling my mom, I want to be a lawyer. Hmm. I want to go to law school. And we didn't have a generation of lawyers in our families, but I think I just saw it was a way to help people. And it was kind of aligned with my ambitious, driven nature. And so I was naturally attracted to the legal profession. But how I got to where I was uh, now is I went to Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, and I deferred for a year. I wanted to make sure it was the true path for me, and I wanted to get some hands on the ground, boots on the ground experience. Mm-hmm. And so I was applying for paralegal positions across the city to see sure. if I anybody would take me. And what I didn't realize then is in my cover letter, I'm saying I'm starting in Creighton next year in the fall, but I would <laughs> love to work for your law firm, not sure. knowing why would no one will train you for one year for you then to leave. Right, so I didn't exactly. know what I didn't know. <laughs> um, but my current law firm, Koenig Dunn, was looking for a receptionist and I pitched them hard on why I aligned with their values and their hmm. mission. Um, they're a women-owned law firm. I have a degree in women's studies with a minor in domestic violence, and Hmm. my founding partner was teaching at the university about women in the law, women in domestic violence, so it aligned very naturally. Um, So I worked there for one year as the receptionist, went to law school, went to a couple different places um, during law school, and then found my way back to Koenig Dunn. Wow, that's so cool. And what, you know, it's important that you say you work for a women-owned law firm and that that was a big draw for Mm -hmm. you. Why divorce work? So divorce work found me. Hmm. I didn't go to law school or grow up thinking I want to be a divorce lawyer, but I knew I wanted to work one-on-one with people. I knew I wasn't drawn to transactional type work or big law type work. But what actually attracted me to the practice of divorce work was how our law firm did it. And I saw in the other places I had exposure to Mm -hmm. or clerked with, they were great lawyers. They just weren't really good business people. Hmm. And say more about how, that. What what makes a, what makes someone a great business person and a great lawyer? Well, I think it's very hard, and I think that's what a lot of the sessions here at yeah. Clio Conference are trying to help focus on is 
uh, you can be a great lawyer, but if you're not a great business person, hmm. you're not going to be able to grow or scale or have ease or work-life balance. Sure. But our founders and partners at the time were really focused on being a great business person hmm. on top of being a great lawyer because the law firm is our business. And so I just got some exposure other places where, you know, they hired me as a law clerk uh -oh. and week one, I'm the, running the office. I'm the only one there uh -oh. somehow supposed to be managing right. incoming intake, like right. all of that. Sure. Um, so I was very attracted to how Koenig Dunn practiced as a business, but also they were a vision and mission driven law firm larger than just the billable hour. So it checked a lot of boxes for me. And we just happened to do that within the framework of divorce law. Hmm. What I love about that story is I think I, I try to tell my students this all the time. And if I don't, I wish I told them more that sometimes it's less about what you do and more about who you do it with and how they do it. And it sounds like that was your experience. I couldn't agree with you more. And just to get into like, what's the day in the in your life in your professional life like if i were to follow you around for a day or a week what kind of activities are you doing what kind of things are you writing who are you talking to give me a little color on what that looks like yep so i kind of worked my way up within the law firm from the receptionist to the law clerk to the associate now i'm a partner i am the coo of our law firm i'm the founder of untie online which is our limited scope divorce practice and so I don't have a completely full caseload mm -hmm. like um, our other attorneys do. Sure. So my day is really mixed in terms of what portion of my day am I uh, working on clients, mm -hmm. client care, actual lawyering, and then what parts of my day are managing operations, finances, mm -hmm. little things that come up that just is what happens when sure. you have people in your office. Sure. So um, it's a good balance. And in terms of the client-based work, mm -hmm. To somebody who says, I've never really heard of divorce law, mm -hmm. like, how would you explain it to a first year or second year in law mm -hmm. school? Like, what do divorce lawyers actually do? Are they, I just, you know, I have yeah. this terrible image of TV of like the divorce lawyer standing between two people who are super angry at each other. Yeah. What, are, what are you actually yeah. doing? Um, you're listening. Good divorce lawyers are listening a lot. They are really clear about what they can do for you and what they absolutely can't do hmm. for you and setting really good expectations for the client and doing so in such a way that is very clear in communication. But other than that, we work with clients at their worst. And so hmm. you have to give a lot of grace to people and then have a good team around you. So it's not just you burning out when you're dealing with like the influx of emotions when it comes mm -hmm. through the door. So you have to have a really great team around you, I think, to be successful. Yeah, and, and how do you deal with the situation where your client wants something that you can't provide? I think you have to be a really direct communicator. And I think you can't be afraid to say that that's unrealistic or that's not possible. And of mm -hmm. course you want to do it in such a way that is wholehearted and your client understands that you're on the same team as them. But at the end of the day, nobody wins in a divorce. Mm -hmm. So there is no winning there. It's most people feel like they lose. And if both people can walk away saying, I can live with what just happened, huh. the result, that's a huge win for the lawyer. Right. So it's really about building relationship with mm -hmm. your client. So they trust you, they accept your guidance, and then you're building that relationship with them. So regardless of the outcome, mm -hmm. 
we're not judging ourselves based on the outcome. We're right. judging ourselves based on how the client felt through the actual divorce process in the ways that we can control it. Cause there's so much in divorce law you can't control. You can't control what the opposing party is going to do, what opposing counsel is or is not going to do, what the judge is going to do. But what you can control is how did your client feel during the mm. process? Were they educated? Did they understand what was going to happen? Did they know what their options were? the end of the day, they get to make the decision, not you. You can right. advocate for them. You tell them what the options are, but they get to choose whatever path they take. So, yeah. And what do you think, you know, you had the unique experience of having seen it as, you know, the receptionist all the way up to the partner. What should someone look in the mirror and see to say, you know what, I think I might want to be a divorce lawyer. Mm -hmm. Like, that could be classes they've taken, experiences, um, approaches to the world. Like, what do you think makes a good fit for someone who hasn't thought about this practice area before? Mm -hmm. Someone who likes working with people, mm -hmm. someone who wants to work with a team, someone who wants to be in court. If you're a litigator, yeah. I tend to do divorce work in more of an alternative dispute resolution space. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, people, everybody has these jokes about divorce lawyers, but divorce work is very complex. Hmm. And um, at its highest levels, it's, I learn new things every single day. We have team chats nonstop. Paralegals have been doing this for 25 years and mm -hmm. they're still asking questions. We're sure. still all learning collectively. So it is so challenging um, emotionally to deal with our clients' large emotions when they're going through the process. Sure. But intellectually, it's, um, incredibly stimulating. You just have to have the tools and support to um, turn it off yep. as much as you can at the end of the day. That's so you what I was going to ask next. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it does sound like it could be a pretty interesting sort of puzzle or chess match or whatever metaphor you want to use. How do you turn it off at the end of the day and don't bring it home with you? Because yeah. I imagine that's much harder than, you know, other transactional areas where it's two businesses starting figuring out how they're going to merge. You don't might not lose sleep over that in the same way of, you know, a long-standing relationship that's ending. Yeah. And that's, I think, probably one of the most common questions that we get asked. But for us, it's really knowing what is your role and what can you provide and what can you and what can't you do for the client. And then, like, you know what I always say, like, you know, if I'm going to trial, you know, I'm going to be the most prepared I can be. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be the best lawyer I can be. And I can't control the result. Hmm. Delivering bad news is always the worst part of our days and the worst part of our jobs, hands down, like having those really, really hard conversations. But if you build up the relationship with the client, mm -hmm. you know, they're not blaming it on you. They right. are appreciative of the work that you did. Like, I always kind of have an analogy with you know, if you go into brain surgery and the brain surgeon's team, you felt very connected to them. You were educated mm -hmm. on what the risks were and the brain surgery, whether it was successful or not, most of the time you're not blaming the brain surgeon. It was the brain tumor itself. And mm -hmm. so you're still connected to the healthcare team that provided care for you in a very deep way. And that's kind of how we envision, um, our relationship with our clients. I, gosh, at the end of the day, I can't control what the judge may say, what the outcome might be, sure. what are we having to negotiate for, but I can be that person that supports you every step of the way in the process. Hmm. Wow. You know, we're here at a tech conference yeah. and I imagine, you know, technology, obviously, congratulations, you recently won, your firm recently won a great award, the Reason Award uh, for legal innovation. Talk to me a little bit about that 
and maybe a little bit more broadly how technology is changing your practice and sort of the practice of divorce law writ large? I would say technology, thank you for the um, acknowledgement. Um, I would say technology is changing the di divorce law practice just as much as changing any other consumer um, type of law. Mm -hmm. So for us, we're all about making our clients' lives easier during a really, really hard period sure. of their lives. So most of the time, you know, going through a divorce means having to redo all of your finances, likely you're moving, hmm. you're dealing with not having your kids half the time. Like the last thing you want to do is something really inefficient or an extra errand you're running to drop off a signed document at your mm -hmm. lawyer's office. So anything we can do to make the process um, have more ease is what we're really trying to do. But how we're specifically unique using yeah. innovation is, I mean, across the board within our firm, to make things, you know, as what every business would want, more more efficient, mm -hmm. um, less wasted energy from our team. So our team can be working on the things that are their highest mm -hmm. value, their greatest use. But what we really saw is divorce is very expensive. Mm -hmm. It can be. For our clients, most of the time, it is an expensive endeavor. Uh, and there was a lack of access to people being able to access justice um, in terms of legal representation for divorce uh, lawyers across the state. So we have always had in our part of our culture is giving back to the legal community. That's always been very important to us. And so one of the ways that we did that was develop Untie Online, which is an online limited scope divorce service that provides access to justice for mm -hmm. clients so they can help we can help them navigate the divorce process at a very much reduced cost. Yeah, and I guess, you know, one of the dangers that I think particularly sort of more seasoned lawyers fear about technology is not the technology itself, but that we're going to make ourselves obsolete somehow. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like your product's a good example where it actually lets you do more of the work you can do. You're not sort of cutting into your own bottom line, but you're just expanding the pie. Is that accurate? That's absolutely accurate. So none of our traditional clients who would have hired us for a divorce would consider using untie online just because so that's not what that that wouldn't handle their their needs yeah we are a full service divorce firm it's again our you know it's yeah, expensive sure. so people who have uncontested divorces yes. who aren't interested in hiring a lawyer in the first place right. or who don't have the finances to mm -hmm. aren't going to be retaining us for a litigated divorce right traditionally in a traditional sense and so what we're really doing is expanding the base of people who our firm could service mm -hmm. not only like the number, but our geographic range. So in Nebraska, we um, are in the very eastern part of the state and the rest of it is very rural. And I think there are 12 counties in Nebraska that don't have lawyers at all. Of those 12, five are like the poorest counties. Mm -hmm. And so there is just a geographic divide on how people can access justice because sure, we have help centers around the state. We have kind of the normal access to justice services that are kind of provided through the State Bar Association. Sure. But if you don't happen to live within a certain mm. range of these cities, it's really hard to access those. And sure. so uh, expanding the base of who and where has been possible mm -hmm. with the technology that we created. And what would you recommend to somebody hearing this and saying, you know, I have an idea about mm -hmm. how I could use technology to serve a greater population or a population mm -hmm. that's underserved what have you learned from sort of turning uh, turning your law practice into lawyer as a service? 
I have learned a lot. And um, one of the things I had to learn first is to be patient. And if this is, you know, your side gig, which isn't your full-time job, sure. and it's something you're doing on top of all the rest of your duties, but you're drawn to it for a, having a your why. So being really clear about your why, or you'll never complete the project because it's something is always going to get put totally. in front of it. Um, especially when you're competing with the billable hour, it's so hard to dedicate and carve out that time and space to be creative and to take risks and mm -hmm. to, you know, try to push the envelope. So being really clear about your why, um, I think is probably the most important piece, but, and along with that, then you just have to be patient because we, you know, we didn't have a budget for this. We, it was all done in house with our team. So again, it was going to take some time to be yeah. able to build up, but, um, we all could see what the vision is mm -hmm. and just worked away at it till we were able to launch. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I, I just, I think the opportunities are so much greater than the fears. And I think it's so easy in our profession to say, we're just going to do it like we've always done. And you and your law firm and your product are an example of that. And I think that's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Um, so look, I like to end all these conversations by asking for a piece of advice, something that you would leave for more junior lawyers, people just entering the profession, uh, or sometimes people take it as something I wish I knew earlier in my practice, what would you leave them with? I would be curious um, in the early stages and be really observant about what are the pieces of your practice that you really, really enjoy? What are the things you don't really enjoy? Yeah. And be patient. I mean, it takes time. Those first couple of years yes. were the hardest years of my career, just because the sheer volume of the new is so intense. Yep. So I would say, be curious, observe it, patient, and then find some your group of people. If you have a vision, you have a dream that's beyond just the standard practice of law where mm -hmm. you are grinding it every day, find the people who share or trust you mm -hmm. or will empower you to kind of break out of the mold. Yeah. Um, and those people will be the people who will support you along the way to make sure the billable hour requirements, the standard law practice, things that just have to get done, yeah. aren't going to always come before like what your goals or vision might be. That's fantastic. I think it's so important. I think I can remember back to my own sort of starting out in both of my two legal careers that I've had. And the first six months, the first year, the first two years is, is hard just because it's new. And you think, oh, I passed the bar. I'm a lawyer. I can handle this. And that just is what gets you through the door. <laughs> and also who you practice with and being curious. I think those are, those are things that I've heard a lot on the podcast, but I think your personal story and your firm story really are a great shining example of that. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right. Be well. Again, I'm Jonah Perlin, and this is the How I Lawyer podcast. Thanks to podcast sponsor Law Pods for their expert editing. If you're a lawyer considering starting your own podcast, definitely check them out at lawpods.com. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you'll consider sharing it with friends and colleagues or on social media. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please sign up for the email list at howilawyer.com or subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, if you have comments, suggestions, or ideas for the show, please reach out to me at howilawyer at gmail.com or at Jonah Perlin on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.